Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, you can visit animalwellnessaction.org. You know, Marty, I always used to say we're usually joined by Wayne and Marty Irby, but Wayne Paselli's not been with us for some time. So I'm thinking of just like getting him out of my script. What have you done to Wayne to keep him off the show? Well, he has COVID this week, unfortunately. So we hope he's healing up well. Well, you have COVID too for the third time. You're here. Well, you know, they can't keep a good man down. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, very good. I work in my sleep, so I'm a I'm a workaholic. That's my problem. So um, Marty Irby is the executive director and our chief lobbyist in D.C. He joins us at the start of all of our shows to give us a legislative update, what we're doing on the Hill. Marty, what's going on in uh, Capital City there? Well, there is a lot of activity actually going on on the animal front. Uh, we've got good news and bad news. First, of course, the FDA Modernization Act that we have mentioned at nearly every episode this year has had uh, tremendous momentum thanks to the support of just tons and tons of animal groups, PETA, um, veterinary groups. We've had people involved from the medical field that have supported that legislation. It has now officially passed the House of Representatives uh, in a larger package that reauthorizes the FDA's user fees and has to get done and has to get signed into law because if they don't, then they're going to have to furlough a thousand employees at the FDA and the government's not going to let that happen. The Senate bill has not been passed through the full Senate yet. It has passed the committee and the FDA Modernization Act was included in that legislation as well. What we're told is that they are working out the differences in the two bills, the greater packages. There's really not anything that we're going to see a lot of changes with on the FDA Modernization Act itself. And then probably see a package pass the Senate before the August recess sometime in the next month. And then that will will have to pass the House once again, and we'll see it head to the president's desk. So we feel almost certain that we'll see the FDA Modernization Act signed into law this year. That bill will actually help repeal a 1938 statute that requires animal testing for any drug approved by the FDA, very unnecessary. And this will have a tremendously positive impact for animals in the long run if we do get it done. We have um, still some concerns about the Minks or Super Spreaders Act or the mink provision that we passed through the House that's included in the America Competes Act. That legislation has seen um, really honestly tremendous opposition in the U.S. Senate a terrible legislator who has been anti-animal at every turn, Ron Johnson, a Republican from Wisconsin, filed a motion to instruct the conferees who are working out the differences in those two bills between the House and the Senate to strip the mink language out. And for those of you who haven't listened to our previous episodes, minks are the number one super spreader of COVID besides humans. And we have already seen five or six variants spawned at mink farms. So we are trying to shut down the mink industry. There are 60 farms left in the U.S. and it is a tremendous health risk. We could risk trillions of dollars and millions of lives if we allow this mink farming farming to continue and the pelts that are being harvested are being used solely for the Chinese elite to have 
meat coats shipped from the U.S. So we're risking our own lives for the Chinese. And that's just not a good messaging point for anyone, I don't think, and a terrible thing that could happen. So we'll see how it works out. Um, it's it's definitely on shaky ground, but we're pushing hard. Sent a letter to Speaker Pelosi this week, and she had promised me and Wayne that she would help in the past. So we're hoping she sticks to that. We um, also are working on um, the Big Cat Public Safety Act. As you all know, that's been our top priority this year. It finally passed the House committee just about two weeks ago. We have seen some opposition from the Republicans on that front. Bruce Westerman, who's the ranking member from Arkansas, we think that it will probably see a vote before the House um, sometime in July with some other legislation as well, and it should pass but we're going to have an uphill battle in the Senate on that one as well. And then we've seen action recently in the past few weeks on both the SAFE Act to end horse slaughter and the PAST Act to end horse soaring. Both of those passed through the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee of Jurisdiction last week, uh, one by a voice vote, the other by a unanimous recorded vote. We should likely see further action in the full committee in the few weeks that we have ahead of us and possibly action on the House floor on those bills around the same time as the big cat bill before the August recess. And then we continue to press on the Bear Protection Act, which is the Bear Poaching Elimination Act in the U.S. Senate that would help address the issue of the trade in bear gallbladders. That bill passed the Senate 20 years ago, twice by unanimous consent when Mitch McConnell led the bill. And we're hoping we can get some action on that legislation as well. Last but not least um, is the bad news. And that is that we ran an amendment this past week in the House Appropriations Committee led by a Republican from Ohio, Dave Joyce, a tremendous advocate for animals that would have helped establish the Animal Cruelty Crimes Unit at the Department of Justice. We've been trying to get started since at least 2019 and have been working on tirelessly. We met opposition from the chair of the subcommittee, Matt Cartwright, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. He did this to us last year, uh, primarily because of opposition from the ASPCA and we really can't follow their line of thinking why they're opposed to it other than it's just not their idea and it's not something that they came up with. So we're really disappointed that that was defeated in the committee this week. Um, I don't know that we'll see any action on the ASAC this year in light of that circumstance, but we are gonna keep trying to get co-sponsors and we may do a floor amendment on the US House floor sometime in the coming weeks and try this again because we will have the support of the full house while we didn't have the committee, um, the rank and file people out there want this. We passed amendments on the House floor in 2019 and 2020 on this issue, but they didn't get included in the final year in spending package. So I know that's a lot to swallow, a long update, but as we wind down the 117th Congress in the final six months of this two-year period, we have a lot on our plate and we have a lot still to get done. Appreciate everybody's support of this legislation. We'll keep you posted. All right, Marty, thank you so much for that. And people can go to animalwellnessaction.org, sign up for the news updates we publish fairly frequently. And always, of course, your financial support is appreciated. It takes a lot of resources to stay up on the hill as we do, to do the work we do so you can be apprised of what we're up to and help us make it come to good results by going to animalwellnessaction.org. Uh, we're going to talk about one of the animals that we work for today. The focus of the show is kangaroos. I have to say I've always had a special connection to kangaroos. One, because my name being Joseph, I was called often Joey uh, when I was young. And I also spent the first several months of my life in a pouch. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
there, there was no there was no pouch. Uh, but uh, we are going to be talking about kangaroos today and the work we are doing on their behalf. Uh, most of our work relative to kangaroos occurs outside of the halls of legislature. We have two special guests today. One is Natasha Dolezal. She is the Deputy Director of Campaigns for Animal Wellness Action and our sister organization, the Center for a Humane Economy. She speaks widely to international audiences about animal law education and animal law issues. In fact, she organized the first conference on animal law, the Africa Animal Law Convention, which was held in Nairobi back in 2018. Uh, also with us, Scott Edwards, General Counsel for the Center for a Humane Economy and Animal Wellness Action. Scott has been deeply involved in educational, environmental, and animal advocacy for over 30 years. And he has, your bio says, leaving behind a career. Scott, <laughs> did you accidentally send me your obituary? Scott leaves I, I've behind. I've left behind many, many careers in my long, in my long years. So. <laughs> He is, he is in the process of leaving behind a legacy of uh, working with disadvantaged youth in uh, alternate outreach programs in New York um, and uh, pursued a law degree with a focus on environmental and community protection issues. For the past couple of decades, Scott has worked tirelessly to advance mm -hmm. and enforce our system of laws uh, that safeguard our airways, our watersheds, and of course, as we know, because of his work with us, uh, animals. So uh, glad you both are here. I've been trying to get a show together on kangaroos for some time. So Natasha and Scott, thanks for finally making uh, that happen. We'll get to Scott in a moment, uh, but I want to start off with Natasha because uh, kangaroos are, are not a species commonly seen in the wild in the U.S. Uh, Eastern Australia is their primary habitat. Uh, why should Americans care about what happens to kangaroos? Americans should care what happens to kangaroos because the impact of their consumer behavior is supporting the world's largest commercial slaughter of land-based wildlife in the world. And it's 10 times larger than the Canadian baby seal hunts um, that Americans were also outraged over. And 2 million are killed each year. And this includes in that number around 400 to 500,000 uh, joeys that are deemed waste joeys and, and collateral damage of when their moms are shot. So Natasha, it wasn't until I started working here that I understood exactly how it was that American consumers contribute to the slaughter of these 2 million uh, kangaroos a year. Uh, where do consumers buy kangaroos? And I bet a lot of times they don't even know that they are. Yes, it's probably true that most people don't know um, the number one product that kangaroos skins are used for are soccer cleats. And soccer is the world's number one sport. And families, little kids, high school students, college players, pro players, adult rec players, they're buying shoes um, used from K-leather, and it's not even called kangaroo on the tags and these soccer cleats. Um, the words that they use are, are K-leather. And so back in the 1960s, I believe it was Pele who had a kangaroo leather pair of pumas, and that sort of relic of the past has um, continued to this day in uh, soccer cleats. Right. So you're saying that um, uh, perhaps even young 
soccer players, uh, semi-pro professional players. They go by these shoes, and they seem to be euphemistically referred to as being made of K-leather, as opposed to just calling it what it is, which is kangaroo leather, right? Right. Uh, so what manufacturers produce these kinds of shoes? Nike and Adidas are the top two purchasers of kangaroo skin. So they're the ones who are really driving the commercial killing of kangaroos. Um, but it's in Puma and Lotto and Umbro and Mizuno, a number of different brands, but primarily it's Nike and Adidas who have the market on use of kangaroo skins. Now, Nike, it seems to me, manifests a brand that appeals to ecologically minded people, humanely minded people. What do you find inconsistent as you look at their manufacturing processes and the shoes they use? What do you find to be inconsistent with that brand image? Many things. Um, it's inconsistent. It's entirely hypocritical and greenwashing is happening in their, in their policies. Um, they have an animal welfare policy that talks about the humane treatment of any of the animals that are used in in the sourcing of any of their products. And they also have an animal skins policy where they outline exotic species of animals. Those are their words that will not be used, that they refuse to use. And kangaroo conveniently is not listed as one of their exotic um, animals. Although obviously I think ask an everyday person um, whether or not the largest marsupial in the world is considered exotic. Versus well, well, a horse. Right. Well, is a horse listed as an exotic animal? Yes, Joseph, it is. Right. So so that is that that does strike me as is incongruous, right? That if we're going to call a horse exotic, it would seem to me that a kangaroo would would no brainer be exotic. Agree with you. Natasha, what is the Center for Humane Economy uh, doing to help consumers understand that they are participating in the largest slaughter? of land-based wildlife in the world? We're doing a number of different things um, to try to reach people in different ways using different types of um, media and creating small videos. We made a 60-second PSA uh, that highlights a guy playing soccer, kicking a goal, and then works backwards to show how those soccer cleats were actually manufactured and the brutality that's involved. Um, We've done online petitions to Nike CEO. And what is what is the response you get from Nike when you and many others bring to the corporation's attention that this is occurring? We don't get much of any response at all. Um, we have written numerous letters to Nike CEO, um, the board, and not only us, but we work in partnership with a coalition in Australia. And they have done it um, in Australia as well. And Nike is, to to this day, un unresponsive. Is there something unique about kangaroo leather that makes it a, a desirable product for soccer players other than the tradition? I mean, I, I would think that in the space age era, right, that, that we would be able to come up with synthetic materials that would be the equal of kangaroo leather. Yes, I don't. I personally don't think there's anything uh, unique about it uh, in this day and age where the synthetics are the number one um, high-performing soccer cleats. 
that are out there. And there are so many more models of synthetic cleats than there are kangaroo uh, leather models. It, it really occupies a very small percentage of the market and the shoes um, that are available. So, you know, for Nike to pivot and, and turn away from this horrific practice would be very minimally effective in, to their bottom line. I want to go to Scott Edwards in a moment, but one final question for you, um, Natasha, and that is this. Uh, how are we partnering with the people who would seem to care most about kangaroos? And those are the people who live in Australia. Do we have any kind of relationship with them where we partner on this education process? We do. A few years ago, when the campaign was first getting started, we formed the International Kangaroo Protection Alliance to work with partners in both Australia and Europe on this issue. Um, besides the United States, Europe is the second or the first largest market in consuming um, kangaroo for meat and also using their skins. And within this group, we work to amplify the message because even in Australia, you know, this is their iconic, you know, species. It's on their flag. It's on their airline. Um, Australians don't know what's going on. So there they also have a steep hill to climb to get out the message of what's going on. This practice of killing kangaroos happens at night um, in remote places. The communities don't know it's happening there's no government oversight. And so working together is the best way that we can try to amplify this message. You mentioned a minute ago the video we did with Gavin Pallone, who is one of the producers of Seinfeld. He worked on Gilmore Girls, uh, works with uh, Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. He lent his talent to the production of this video. And we used on one of our social media posts an excerpt of uh, a hunter in Australia of kangaroos. And it was one of the most horrific things I had ever heard anyone say. Uh, he was talking about how it was so easy at night to go up and hunt these kangaroos because they're, they're just so unassuming. I mean, he said, literally, you can just walk right up to them because they're out there. And I think I'm quoting accurately doing what kangaroos do. And then bam, you, you shoot them dead, which seems just awful. And then two, I've seen some of the other videos that we don't have them, but I've seen them of what these joeys go through. So correct me where I'm wrong and what I'm about to recount, Natasha, and that is the, the adult kangaroos are shot, and in this case, the mothers of the joeys. Uh, the law does not allow for the joeys to be remain left alive. Uh, so they're either decapitated or sometimes and maybe even preferably bludgeoned to death against, say, the bumper of, of the truck. Uh, am, I, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, that's sadly, that's right. It's heartbreaking um, the way in which these animals are treated. And hunters are not supposed to shoot female mothers with, with joeys in, in their pouch. Um, but like I said, this happens at night. Um, sometimes, you know, they're 200 feet away. And they often make mistakes. Um, working within our coalition, I've come to understand that 40% of kangaroos aren't aren't killed with that, you know, clean shot to the head. So, you know, it's a, that's a huge number when you're thinking of, you know, two million a year. Right. And so those animals are either, you know, running away, wounded, and and die a slow death, or they have 
they're shot multiple times. And if there is a Joey in pouch, that Joey is decapitated or bludgeoned to death. If there's a Joey at foot, that Joey usually runs away and is left to starve or falls to predation. Say a couple final words, if you would, please, on, on this issue relative to the campaign in Australia that falsely markets these animals as nuisances. I think there's somewhat something happening over there analogous to what happens with our wolves. Kill all you want. They're, they're a pain in the ass anyway, right? Is that something that you see as you work with your Australian counterparts? Yes. And it is an easy way for me to understand what they're up against in Australia because the situation in the United States is the same. Um, the industry has, you know, allies in the government and they you know, these ranchers and these farmers um, are getting the government to believe the myth that these animals are overpopulated and threatening their rangeland and their fencing. Uh, Much in the same way, wolves here are, you know, feeding on cattle and sheep or wild horses are destroying also the rangelands. And so these animals in the States, wolves and horses are demonized um, in favor of the ranching industry. All right. What is up next for your program, Natasha. I know you've had some protests in uh, New York, uh, in LA, in Portland. Uh, Are any other protests of Nike stores on the calendar? Yes, um, and they'll continue to be. Uh, We had protests in March uh, in Australia and the States. Uh, We had protests in June in the US, in New York, LA, and Portland. And in July, we'll also be participating um, with Australia in their day of protest, their national day of protest. So they'll be protesting at Nike stores in all of their major cities, and we will be doing the same here in, in support. All right. Very good. Well, thank you for that. Uh, individuals who want to know more about this issue can find uh, campaign notes on the Center for a Humane Economy.org or Kangaroos Are Not Shoes. That's a website that Natasha has helped put together. You can follow um, our Facebook page to be alerted to those protests where they are and find more information there. So Natasha, brutal, brutal stuff. Uh, Scott, tell us about the lawsuit you and your center and animal wellness action colleagues just filed in California. Yeah, sure, Joe. Thanks. Um, you know, one of our, our big frustrations throughout this campaign is the fact that that many years ago, the state of California, in recognition of, of what's happening in, in Australia and the misuse of, of kangaroo leather, um, enacted legislation, passed a law that bans the, the trade in kangaroo sourced body parts, including kangaroo leather or K-leather, as they call it. Um, this, this law has been on the books, as I said, for decades. Um, It is never enforced by um, state enforcement officials. Um, The retailers in California uh, freely offer these products um, for sale to consumers across the state. Uh, We've sent investigators in who have taken pictures, have purchased these shoes, have documented the sales. Um, Store clerks are freely admitting that they are illegal um, to be sold in, in the state of California, but they sell them anyways. Um, so we, we've, you mentioned before, reaching out to Nike and Adidas and these other companies. One of the messages we've sent to them is that their products 
are being sold illegally in one of the largest soccer markets in the United States, California, and that they need to take action to make sure that those sales stop. And, and they assure us that, that they have nothing to do with those sales, yet their products keep showing up on, on the store shelves um, and, and are being purchased and, and used illegally in the state. Um, so um, we have decided um, to take the law into our hands um, and enforce the law ourselves and um, bring some of these retailers to court to seek an injunction to force them to stop selling these products. All right. So for example, if I understand the way the retail supply chain works, Nike uh, will, will make the shoe and then the shoes are sold in bulk to resellers who will then sell them to individual retailers. So I think the defendant in your suit is a group called Soccer Warehouse, correct? That's right. It's a, it's a local retailer. They they maintain um, three active stores in Southern California. Um, they stock a, a number of different um, K leather soccer cleats from from Adidas and and Nike and Puma. And um, we we we're not sure. Is it not? It's not only illegal to sell these products to consumers. It's illegal for Nike and Puma and Adidas to ship stock to these stores in California for sale. Um, so um, part of this lawsuit um, or, or one of the outcomes of this lawsuit is going to answer the question of how these stores are, are getting their stock. And not only um, if they themselves, the retailers, the local retailers are violating the law, but if these big companies are also violating the law by shipping um, stock into the state for sale. Right, because I guess there would be there would be some plausible deniability if they ship to Acme reseller in Idaho, uh, and then Acme ships them to, to California. So what this lawsuit attempts to do in part, if I understand you correctly, is understand whether such a middle person exists or whether Nike says, hey, here you go, California, we're going to send them straight from our factory to you. Right. Uh, correct. Okay. Right. Yeah. We want to, we want to uncover the supply chain here. Um, and you know, it's typical in these kinds of cases where you name a defendant, but in, in every lawsuit, you're free to amend your complaint as needed to bring in other defendants and to make other claims. Um, so uh, once we get very active in this case, um, we will um, do some discovery and figure out how exactly it is these stores are, are getting stocks of these illegal products for sale. Um, Scott, uh, later this week, I'll be talking to one of your colleagues about another lawsuit. Uh, one filed, or not a lawsuit, but rather an, an amicus brief that uh, you're preparing uh, on behalf of Prop 12, another attempt by Californians to uh, protect animals. So I'll look forward to that conversation. And, um, and I want to say thank you for uh, listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. We're grateful for our listeners. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.